don't know who I am, I'm Jonathan. I'm on staff here at New Creation Church, and I get the privilege of being able to bring the word this morning. So I was told I could teach on anything, so I thought about, like, the third heaven, you know, the key of David. Um, but I thought I should probably stick to close to home, something that I know a little bit about, but not a ton, and I'm learning more and more every single day. And I encourage you guys to join me on the journey of learning how to worship a king a little bit better than we have been um, because it's the expression of love. And I think that it's really the key to victory in a lot of areas of life. You know, we tend to follow formulas. You know, we have like the four steps of faith and hearing and believing, speaking, doing. And we go through a lot of formulas because we like formulas. We love being able to check things off of a list. Um, and there's nothing bad inherently with that, but what happens is when we just follow formulas, a lot of times the heart is uninvolved, and that's kind of what the deal was in the Old Testament. Um, they would bring sacrifices, but then get reprimanded because there was no heart involved behind it. And so we are going to look into worship this morning and how we can better express our love to God in a way that he understands, and we are going to be kind of talking out of this book, um, it's called How to Worship a King by Zach Neese, and I encourage everybody to buy it. Um, I've mentioned it a lot. If you listen to our podcast, um, I mentioned this book quite a bit, and most everything I'm, I'm saying this morning I've gotten from this book. Um, other than the Bible, it's been the most impactful book in my life, and I love it. I spill coffee on it, <laughs> and it's marked up. So I don't think it's in our bookstore, but go ahead and find it online, How to Worship a King by Zach Neese. Um, but we're going we're gonna to talk about worship. Again, it's the key to so much breakthrough in your life when you understand that you were designed to worship. And I'll just go ahead and say this too. Fivefold ministry is great. You know, we've got pastors and teachers, uh, prophets, evangelists. What's the other one? Um, anyways, none of that's going to be happening in heaven. Uh, we don't need um, prophecy in heaven. We don't need to get people saved in heaven. So all that stuff that we like and value and should here on this earth will not be something we do in heaven, but we will all be worshiping in heaven. So we have an opportunity to tap into our divine and eternal calling right here on this earth, and we are all meant to be worshipers. Amen? So I'm going to talk about this. It's not the definitive guide to worship, so don't think because you heard this message you know everything, because it's really just a little bit. Um, it's just scratching the surface. Um, but we know that worship is a form of prayer. It's actually the highest form of prayer. And we know that prayer is talking to God um, in its most simplest definition. So some people get afraid about, like, singing, but they're okay to talk. And I just want to be as wise as Buddy the Elf. And he said that singing is like talking except louder and longer and you move your voice up and down. Um, and we can all do that, right? So we're going to take turns. Everybody's going to come up here and we're going to sing. I'm just kidding. Um, so... Uh, I'm going to give a couple definitions of worship and praise, and then we'll talk about our part to play in it. And I try not to take up too much of your time today, um, but if you wanted to title this message, to give it even a longer title, it would be called Worship, the Expression of Love, and Your Part to Play, or we could say Our Part to Play. All right? So worship is the highest form of prayer because this is one of the only times that when you go into his presence, you're not asking him for something. You're giving him something, and that's really special. Um, Dr. Eddie Hyatt said this. He said, someone has noted that uh, when we pray, we're preoccupied with our needs. When we praise and give thanks, we're preoccupied with our blessing. But when we worship, we are preoccupied. Wow, that's a hard word to say. Only with him. Preoccupied only with 
with him. And that's the, that's the attitude that we want to have whenever we come into his presence. Not to say that you can't go into his presence and, and, and uh, ask for something that's totally necessary. It's available to us. But if that's all we're doing, we're really missing out on covenant. Because covenant is two sides. It's, 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 it's reciprocal. And we always just think, like, God, just give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. But really, we have so much to give to him that he wants. And that when we do give it to him, we find fulfillment. So here's a definition of worship, all right? Worship is this. It is an active response to who God is and who he has revealed himself to be through his word. So as you can see, we do have slides. I put the things I think are the most important of what I'm saying down so you can write them too. Sometimes I'll sit in a message and it's all really good. And I'm like, do I, ooh, I'm writing this down. And then I stop writing what I'm writing down because I heard something else that's even better. We'll have these slides up and I encourage in the back if you, when I talk on a slide, just keep it up for a little bit so people can write it down. But worship is an active response to who God is and who he has revealed himself to be through his word. So when you dive into his word, you find out that he's your savior. Jesus is your savior, right? We find out he's your healer, that he's redeemed you from the curse of the law. We find out that he's our peace. We find out that he is the lover of our soul. All these things are found in the word. If you're not in the word, you will not have a very good revelation of who he is. And I will say this, that your level of praise and worship is directly tied to your revelation of who God is. That's the next slide, so you can go ahead and put that one up. Your level of praise and worship will be limited to your revelation of God. If you have a very basic understanding of who God is, you will have a very basic worship experience and an expression of worship to him. So we need to constantly be understanding, gaining insight on who God is, and we only find that out through his word. So if you're not in the word and you wonder why your worship times, maybe even corporate worship times here, seem a little dry to you, I would just maybe present this for your consideration, that you might need to get some more understanding of who God is. Because when you really find out who he is, you can't help but praise. You can't help but worship. So I'm not trying to throw any shade. And it might seem like it this morning, because I will say some things that, would, uh, might, that might step on a few people's toes. It might be a little offensive. But that's okay. Because growth begins at the uh, end of your comfort zone, all right? So your level of praise and worship will be limited to your revelation of God, all right? So I just gave a basic definition, but I want to dive into the subject of worship and praise just a little bit more. And, you know, Zach Neese mentions this in his book, and I find it funny because I actually have it happen quite often as the worship leader here at NCC. You know, quite frequently people will approach me after service and say, hey, I really loved your music today, which is a nice sentiment. And I understand what they're trying to say, but what's really happening is that they're trying to, des to describe something that the church has not prepared them for or really taught them what it is. And we know that God responds to worship, and so what they're actually describing is that God came in the room and they had an encounter with his presence, but they really don't know how to describe it. And we've done a really big disservice in categorizing worship as a genre of music, all right, and so if you look at iTunes, if you look at Spotify, you'll see Praise and Worship or CCM, which is not just a skate company for hockey. It actually stands for, <laughs> some people got that. Um, it stands for Contemporary Christian Music, and those are all good, and I get why we do that because it's, you know, you want to be able to find it and, and, and access it easily, but it's not a type of music, and I'm going to go ahead and say this, too, that worship is not music. It's not. Worship is not music. 
Um, because if worship is just music, then we categorize it, we tailor it, we uh, mass produce it just to, f- to fit a consumer. And then the consumer consumes it, and then they judge it. We judge it appropriate or inappropriate. We find things that we don't like. We find things that we do like. And if worship is music, we're literally describing this type of worship is bad. This type of worship is good. This type of worship is not for me. This type of worship should never be sung. And we're just judging it based off of our own preferences. And what we've done is we become gods unto ourselves. We say that worship is not for God. It's for man. And we become the judge. We are now, we are now committing idolatry. So let me just say this real quick. Let's get this straight. That worship is not for man. It's for God. Amen. Worship is for God. I think that's our next slide. I mean, you, you'll be able to write that down. It's not too long. But worship is for God. And I'll tell you what music is, though. Um, music is a vehicle. It's a vehicle. All right? A vehicle takes you to your destination. It's not your destination. And everybody would agree with that. They're like, oh, <laughs> makes sense. If you thought that, you'd probably be not super bright. But um, what, what music is, is it's a vehicle that takes us into his presence. It helps us get there. Sometimes it even helps us get there even faster. And it's an expression of worship because worship must have an expression. It can't stay in your heart. It can't stay in your mouth. It must be expressed somehow. And music is a wonderful avenue to express worship. All right? So it's a vehicle. And here's a cool thing about, uh, about music is that it's one of the only tools that has been given to us that appeals to all three parts of man, right? Spirit, soul, and body. It affects all three of those. We are triune beings, which means we have three parts, and we serve a triune God. And I think something really special happens, a really great, I would say magical, but it's not necessarily magical, but it's an, a wonderful connection, an intimate connection that happens when a triune being worships a triune God out of their heart, their soul, their mind, their strength, out of every single part of them. Mark 12, 30 says this, to worship the Lord with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. So to do that, we have to worship him out of our triunity. It's, uh, if one part of us is disengaged, then it's not truly worship. All right. If our mouth is singing, but our heart is not engaged, it's not really worship. If I'm singing about rejoicing, and my arms are crossed, have a frown on my face, is it really worship? All right. And this is why the vehicle of music is so helpful. It inspires us to move. It inspires us to dance. When you hear music, a lot of times you can't help but sway and start acknowledging the beat. It's it's appealing to your, your flesh. It's appealing to even your soul. And there's certain times, have you ever heard an arrangement of music that just brought you to tears? It's okay if you're a man and you cried over music. It's all right. Um, it moves you. And it has a, has a way of just attaching a certain emotion to uh, conveying a certain emotion. If you don't believe me, listen, music is an antenna of the soul. And that's a, that's a slide as well. Um, music is a powerful antenna of the soul. If you don't believe me, try watching a, a movie without the sound on. Um, you're not going to know what's going on because, you know, there's obviously saying stuff, but there's, there's times when there needs to be a certain emotion communicated in the scene that really can only happen through music. Um, think of the movie Jaws. There's only two notes, right? E and F. They just rock in it, right? Um, but yet it triggers the flight or fight syndrome, you know, the, the, the response. You're like, oh, I just feel tense in this scene. Without that music, it would just be a really silly shark in the water. But it provokes emotion. It provokes emotion. So it's, it's beautiful. It's a powerful intent to the, to the soul. And we were created to respond to music. 
Okay? It's a vehicle for worship, and it can be an expression of worship, but music by itself is not worship. You, you might be saying, that's awfully bold of the guy who just sang for 30 minutes <laughs> with music. Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> All right, so here, here's another definition of worship. It's actually a, a compressed form of an old English word. Uh, worship means worth-ship. Worth-ship. Literally means to give something worth, to demonstrate of the of the attribute value or attribute value, especially to a deity or God. If some of these have spelling mistakes, it's my bad. I made these like really late last night, and I know some of them have some some errors. So um, just just weed through that. You'll you'll figure it out. All right. So we worship God by communi- communi- communicating and demonstrating value. Uh, the value that he has to us. And it costs us something to demonstrate value. That is why worship is often associated with the word sacrifice. Right? We tend to only make sacrifices to things that are important to us. Right? And the first mention of worship, the first mention of worship is actually in the Bible in Genesis 22, uh, verse 5, when Abraham is going up to actually sacrifice his son Isaac. He says, you guys stay here. Me and the boy are going to go up and we're going to worship and we will come back to you. That's the first time worship has ever been mentioned in the Bible. And it directly ties with sacrifice. And if you don't know the rest of the story, he did not sacrifice his son. God was testing his obedience. And God actually provided an animal to be sacrificed. All right? And he's not calling us to do that, thank the Lord, in the New Testament. But he is offering, telling us to offer something of sacrifice. Of sacrifice. Okay? So worship... Um, Attributing value to God must cost the worshiper something. Worship is sacrifice, and it always, everybody say always, always. involves giving. Always involves giving. Ways we offer a sacrifice to God could be our time, our money, our songs of praise, when we really are in a situation where that's the last thing that we want to do, right? Worship is often uncomfortable, and it always has a price. Sacrifice is often uncomfortable, and it always has a price. Hmm. So, just take a look at your transaction history in, on your bank statement, and you're going to prove, you're going to see pretty clearly what you value. Right? If you value something, you give your time, your energy, even your resources to it. So if worship is ascribing worth to God, then the price of our worship, the price of our worship shows God and even the world, how much we value him. Amen. And I think that women understand this a little bit more than men do. Um, think about when a woman gets engaged, the way that they tell their friends, especially their close friends, if, they're, if they live near them, they, they walk into the room, and all they really have to do is one of these. <laughs> and it's, a, it's like a beacon that goes off, and all the women are like, what? And they run to it, and you hear the oohs and the ahs and the gasps. Oh, my gosh, let me see the ring, the ring, the ring. It's like, well, a guy gave the ring to her. They don't really care as much about the guy. They want to see the ring. They ask questions about the ring. How big is it? How many carrots? Is it made out of silver? Is it made out of, uh, is it made out of gold? Uh, is that, please tell me it's not cubic zirconium. Is that a princess cut? Is that a, what is that? They just want to know. And what they're actually asking, and it might even be subconsciously, is how much are you worth to him? Because the ring tells them everything they need to know about the man, 
Right? Was he worth sacrificing for six months and riding his bike and eating nothing but top ramen to buy this ring to prove the value that she had to him? The ring says everything. You want to know, as Christians, the engagement ring of Christians is the cross. Right? Jesus says he's the bridegroom. The church is the bride. We're unlovable. <laughs> we are adulterous. We're unfaithful. And he's perfect. Yet, he decided to show everyone the ring. Right? That all the doubters, hell, <laughs> even maybe some of the angels were thinking, like, why are we doing this for these people? Right? He showed them the ring. The cross was the engagement ring. Amen? So, if the cross proves how much we are worth to God, then our worship proves how much God is worth to us. Right? So the Greek word that's often uh, most associated with the word worship is the word proskunio. It's a fun word to say. Greek word proskunio, and it just means this. It means to prostrate yourself before God, to adore, and here's one of my spelling mistakes, because <laughs> I, fo I forgot a whole entire word, to kiss the hands towards someone. In layman's terms, that literally means to blow kisses. So this is the one, the third one, we really have a problem with. We'll, we'll talk about the first one. You can go back for a second, Riley. Um, go back to that second, yeah. So first one, prostrate. The word prostrate just means to lay flat on your face. So there's an actual, like a physical thing that, that it's, it's, it's describing here. Laying flat on your face before the Lord. And then to adore. Adoration is to love deeply, intensely, respectfully, and intimately. And the third one, to kiss the hands towards someone or to blow kisses, this is the one that's most contended, especially in Western culture and especially by men. When I say this, there's probably men in the room that are uncomfortable. Like, you tell me to blow kisses to the guy, to, to, to the guy upstairs? No, thank you. Well, <laughs> yes, guess what? Jesus actually sees this as, a, as an acceptable form of worship. Um, and we have a great story about it in the Gospels. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and read it. It's Luke 7. It's a beautiful story. It's a deep display of love. And it's actually a very significant one at that. So we find the woman with the alabaster jar. They, they call her the sinful woman. She enters the Pharisee's house to be with Jesus. Um, she weeps. She washes his feet with her tears. She begins to kiss his feet. She breaks the alabaster jar, anoints his feet. And Jesus' response to the Pharisees afterwards is, is, is very enlightening. So Luke 7, verse 44, it says, Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, here's the important part, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Everyone say, loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. So Jesus accepted this woman's behavior, including her kisses, as an expression of love. And what's crazy about this is this is the only time in the Gospels that you can find that Jesus said someone demonstrated love towards him other than God. The only time. And the Pharisees mocked it. They said, this is inappropriate behavior. This is unacceptable. But Jesus said, she demonstrated love. She expressed love to me. And they were so quick to judge it. Ooh. So, next week, if I see people blowing kisses in worship, uh, 
you, pro- you missed the point just a little bit, um, unless the Lord tells you to do that. But here's the point. You can go to the next slide. Just like a kiss, worship is an expression of intimate love towards God. So that kiss is, is an expression of intimate love. Your worship is an expression of intimate love. So if there's no intimacy there, if there's no revelation there, it's not really being expressed in the way that it needs to. All right, now if I was raised in a house, or maybe you were raised in a house without much, without much affection, this might bother you just a bit. Maybe uh, a parent wasn't in the home, or both parents weren't in the home, you just didn't experience affection. I just want to say this, I don't know, I, don't, I shouldn't say I don't care, I do care where you came from. But what I care more about is that you embrace this philosophy, because guess what? You serve a God, and you actually have a Father now that loves you so deeply, and so intimately, and he was so extravagant with his love. He did not hold anything back. He was naked on a cross for you so the least you can do is just have some type of expression of worship for him and here's a point that I need to make here is that the deeper the intimacy of relationship the more passionate its love is expressed the greater the intimacy of relationship the more passionately its love is expressed and I'll give an example when I leave for work and when I come home both of my girls which I have one on the front row they love to blow me kisses And they say, bye, daddy, have a good day at work. Why? Because they adore me. They love me. It's an expression of their love. And I give them kisses back. But here's the thing. The way I kiss my daughters is very different than the way that I kiss my wife. (laughs) As it should be. Why is it different? Because the depth of relationship is more intimate. Does that make sense? The most intimate relationship you should have as a Christian is the one with God. So if anything is being expressed, anything that you love is being expressed more intimately than your love for God, it's idolatry. Yep. Ah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, ouch. So, and here's another thing. My wife and I, we have a kiss that's for public. She's like, what are you, what are you saying? And we have a kiss that's meant for private. And that kiss is only hers. Nobody else gets that. And we don't get the two confused very often, all right? What's meant for private stays in private, and what's meant for public stays in public. Now, I want to talk a little bit about displays of worship. As a worshiper, as a Christian, you need to understand and be able to discern what is meant for public and what is meant for private. Because corporate worship is much differently, much different than private worship. And we don't want to get the two confused. And here's why. Because I don't want my display of worship to detract from anybody else's. But I also don't want to make my worship about me. And a lot of times, motivation has a big part to play. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Um, right. Uh, do I want to be noticed? Is it exhibitionism? Is this pride? Is this self-worship? Is this idolatry? Right. True worship will always be motivated by a love for God. So... Just keep that in mind. I'm not trying to correct or reprimand anybody, but I will go ahead and do the other side here because every coin has two sides. And we need to address your own heart when you see something uh, that irritates you. You need to address your own heart. A lot of times we see people who who, uh, are publicly displaying their worship and we get bothered by it. Um, We'll just remind you of the Pharisees again. They call that inappropriate, but Jesus said, she demonstrated love towards me. You know, David's first wife, Michael, called his worship undignified. 
But Jesus said, this is a man after my own heart. So here's two things that you always got to remember. You know, it's very easy to become a Pharisee. And when you see an expression of worship uh, that you might not necessarily jive with, first of all, you really don't have a clue about what God brought that person out of. If you had took the time to maybe talk to that person, you might understand. But sometimes, again, the, the, the depth, the intimacy of relationship is really tied to your revelation of God and what he's done for you, who you, how you know him to be, who you know him to be in your life. So some people have been brought out of the darkest. Of, we all have. I get it. Death, sin. I get that. But some of us, like in myself, I had a really pretty great upbringing. Um, but... There are some people who have been brought out of seemingly, seemingly some darker things, and when they express their worship, it's because you don't, you don't necessarily know where they've been. Um, so just keep that in mind. Um, and secondly, your attention should be, should be on God. Um, after all, that's, that's the reason why you're here, isn't it? Um, which is a really good segue to talk about motivation. So last year, I took my, my daughter, Charlotte, to the daddy-daughter dance. That was fun, huh? Um, over at Grand Mesa Elementary, and we, we absolutely tore it up. I mean, I came home sore. I woke up sore. I was like, we had a good time. So we were dancing and twirling, and then my wife gave us a Polaroid, and we were taking pictures and, of the whole night, and, and then she wanted to take pictures of just everyone who we didn't know. And I was like, it's okay. Um, you can actually have the Polaroid. Please don't get mad at me. Um, but uh, here's, here's the thing, and I, I wish she could just put earmuffs on right now. I don't, I don't like dancing at, like, at all. I really don't like dancing. But I do love my daughter. So I didn't go to the dance because I love dancing. I went to the dance because I love my daughter. That's a very simple yet powerful example. Jesus is this way. Jesus doesn't come to church because he just loves church so much. He does, but he comes to church because he loves you. Right? Jesus doesn't come into your prayer closet because he loves being cramped in the bathroom with you. He comes because he loves you. Jesus didn't die on the cross because he loved the cross. He died because he loved you. Amen? Motivation. So, he wants you to look at him the same way. Why do we go to church? Because we love the music, because we love the message, because we love the community. That's all great. But the main motivation is because we love him. It's, and, and this is a beautiful thing about this. So, when, and here's the next one. Uh, when love is, is the motivation of your heart, everything you do becomes an act of worship. Everything you do. Glory. And this will greatly help you avoid offense as well. Because if the music isn't your favorite or Pastor Mark said something that you don't agree with or someone didn't say hi to you in the foyer, it's okay because you're not actually there for them. You're there for Jesus. And guess what? Jesus can actually be found in all of those things. And when you make it about him, he'll help you. What, what's, the, what's the old saying? Eat the hay, spit out the sticks. We're all doing this life together as flawed human beings. But when we make the sole purpose of why we come to encounter Jesus, he'll show you how to encounter him in the music or the worship, I should say, in the message, in the community, in the parking lot, all of that stuff he's in. And he'll help you avoid the offense when your motivation is correct. Amen? So here's another definition of worship. It's love expressed God's way. Love expressed, not just love expressed, but it has to be God's way. 
So have you ever heard of the five love, love languages by Gary Chapman? Right, you have quality time, gifts, acts of service, physical touch, and words of affirmation. And luckily for us, God speaks all of those to, uh, to a degree. But uh, if you're in a relationship, you figure out pretty quickly that you and your significant other don't necessarily speak the same love language. And what's really frustrating is when someone is communicating love to you in a way that you don't recognize or receive. Can I get a witness? <laughs> so we ever stop to think about this? Maybe... I'm communicating love to God in a way that he does not recognize or understand. So many times people are like, well, if, if that was me, man, I would, I, you know, like if, if, that, if, if this person did this the way that I wanted it to be done to me, they, I, I, would know, I don't know why they're complaining because I would have loved that. How selfish. That's how you receive love. That's not how they receive love. Have we stopped to think about that with God? Hmm. So, if we really want to be sure that we're expressing love in a way that God recognizes, then we need to look at Scripture. John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. John 14, 23, Jesus answered to them, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. 14, 24, if he, he who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So, Worship is love expressed God's way, and God's love language is obedience. It's probably not what everybody wanted to hear this morning, but worship and the way God receives love is through obedience. Now, I don't want you to get into a works mindset, because obedience from fear of punishment is religion. Obedience resulting from love is relationship. It's covenant. This is what worship really is. Amen? And I really like this. This is in the book. So he says this. True emotions, the true emotions of our hearts are the ones that inform lordship. We will obey what we love. If we love our flesh, we will obey it. If we love God, our emotions will prove true through obedience. Amen? Through obedience. So, we just talked about the Greek word proskunio. It means uh, uh, it's about adoring, being flat on your face, about kissing. <laughs> but uh, the main Hebrew word for worship is the word shakah. And it simply means this, to bow. Psalm 95.6, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. And again, we have problems in Western culture uh, with doing this. But guess what? This is the culture of the kingdom. I mentioned the 24 elders earlier after we were done with worship. They throw their crowns at his feet and they're bowing down in worship. And we want to talk about having heaven invade earth. We say, uh, let your will be done uh, on earth as it is in heaven. Well, we got to understand what the culture of heaven is. The culture of heaven is worship. It's honor. It's reverence. It's bowing. Whew. So what I'm not saying is that just because you bow, like physically, makes your worship any better than somebody else's. Because it's, it's not a formulaic thing. It's not like, okay, well, if I just raise my hands this amount of time and bow this much, and okay, it's a worship song, so worship is, okay, I better lay on my face. No, it's not a formula, but it's all about motivation of the heart. It's all about motivation of the heart. So out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what you could also say is that this is where the motivation for these actions come from. So when we talk about bowing, if you physically feel like you need to bow, then do it. Because, again, emotions inform lordship. 
If Jesus is telling you, you feeling inclined to bow and you don't, you've just informed what is Lord. You've just informed him what is Lord. It's your flesh. But let's talk about the posture of our heart. Am I bowed down in my heart? Who's really Lord in there? Can I actually obey during a worship service or just in general with God, or am I too prideful? It's all things that we need to be looking at. So you can, you can bow naturally but not be submitted in your own heart, and that's not worship. So let's recap real quick what worship is. Um, next slide, please. So worship is this. It's an active response to God, and you find out who he is through his word, and your, your level of worship will be tied to your revelation of who he is. It's not music, yet music is used as an expression for worship. It's sacrifice. It's adoration. And it's obedience. So let's move on to praise. And praise is not just the fast songs, right? Woo, that, got, that song's got a good beat. It must be praise, right? Praise is this. It's just, it's an expression of approval or admiration. So looking at that basic definition, there's a lot of things that we praise in our lives. We praise our kids when they do something good. We praise sports teams. We even praise our pets. But we also give praise to God, all right? And God doesn't necessarily need our approval, but he does so many things that are absolutely worth us acknowledging and we do that through praise. So praise is more specifically an expression or, uh, of respect or gratitude as an act of worship. So praise is an expression of worship. They aren't exclusive of one, exclusive of one another. One another? Woo. One another. So um, worship must have an expression, and praise is one of those ways that we do it. Amen. So praise is actually where you start if you want to go into the presence of God at all. It's very, very important that we understand what praise is. You look at Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. That word, it's, describing, it's describing the tabernacle, if you, if you know that. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle, that's where they brought their sacrifices of worship. That's where the presence of God was. So you enter the gates of the tabernacle with, with prayer, or with, with, with praise and thanksgiving. That's how you do it. So if you want to come into his presence, and you're thinking like, oh, that's Old Testament. No, listen. Hebrews tells us that there's a physical temple up in heaven, and the type and shadow of that is Solomon's temple here on earth. So if you want to understand what temple worship looks like and what your part to play is, you better start getting familiar with the Old Testament temple and tabernacle. And that's actually like the majority of this book, which I won't talk about today because I'm uh, pretty much out of time. <laughs> but uh, here's the thing. There's four Hebrew words for praise. Go ahead and put them up. Tada, an extension of the hand. These, all four of these are found in this verse, Psalm 100, verse 4. Extension of the hand. Yada, the extended hand, to throw out the hand to worship with the extended hand. Tehillah, to sing. From the Hebrew word halal, which means to boast, rave, celebrate, or be clamorously foolish. And number four, Barak, to kneel, to bless God as an act of adoration. So you can actually find all of those. So it says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. That's the word tada. Into his courts with praise, tequila. Be thankful, yada, unto him, and bless Barak, his name. So after seeing this and understanding what we know about worship, there's no such thing as silent praise or silent worship. It always has to have an expression. And I'll tell you what, it's going to set you free. Because I used to be an introvert. I used to be somebody who didn't want to do any of this stuff. I didn't grow up singing. I didn't grow up doing any of this. But when I finally understood what this actually means, and I took what was in my heart and actually decided to express it, man, 
life got so much better. Glory to God. So praise also has benefits. Let's just list a few of them right here. Take a picture of this if you want because i got to move on. Benefits of praise. It silences the enemy. And those are the scriptures where you can find them. It's a weapon of warfare. It's an invitation for God. It brings your deliverance and it positions you for promise. And I didn't make numbers yellow. That's all right. All right, so hopefully I've given you a good understanding of praise and worship. And I know I gave a lot of specifics, and I don't want us to overanalyze. You know, am I supposed to stand? Am I supposed to kneel? Do I shout here? What song is this categorized into? Is this praise or is this worship? Oh, no, the song's actually a crossover. What do I do with that? All right, and we talk a lot of times today about, like, horizontal worship and vertical worship and which one it needs to be. And the answer to all of that is just yes, okay? Yes. <laughs> um, and I'll, I'll, I'll bring some clarity here. 2 Corinthians 3, um, Paul is really talking about the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. Is everybody okay to just hang around for just a few more minutes? Okay, if you're not, you can leave, and I won't. Uh, I'll, I'll say, everybody look at that person. No, it'll be fine. I don't want, I, if you do not want to stay, by all means, you can leave. Um, but I got a few more things I want to get to, all right? So spirit of the law versus letter of the law. So let me give you some differences. Letter of the law refers to the literal and precise wording of a statute or a legal document. It focuses on the specific language used in the law, and it interprets it exactly as it is written. The spirit of the law refers to the broader purpose. It's the intent, the principles behind an underlying law, and it emphasizes understanding the reason why it was created. In interpreting the spirit of the law, it allows for some flexibility as long as the adaptation maintains the original intent. That was a mouthful. So let me give you an example. The letter of the law, the letter of the law would say, praise is gratitude and worship is adoration. And you cannot mix the two. And a song must only have words that are about him because it's about, if it's about me, I just found out that worship is for God and it's not for man. And if we sing, uh, look what the Lord has done, one more time I'm going to be in sin. That's legalism. That's religion. And God does not want that. Yes, there are songs that are all about him, and the majority of your worship should be geared towards him only because he's, he's worthy. But there are songs that are sung corporately that are about us, and it's a good thing. And so here, Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So he's saying, hey, He's writing a letter to the church. He says, hey, this, you need to be doing this with each other. This is a corporate thing, and you all need to be doing this. So let's, let's, let's break that down. A psalm is this. You can go to the next slide. A psalm is one of three different perspectives. Man to God songs. God to man songs. And it's not that uh, God worships man, but we know that he sings over us. That's Zephaniah 3. And man to man songs. We, uh, uh, we admonish, we teach, we remind each other of the truth. And all three of these perspectives can be found in the Psalms of the Old Testament. A hymn is a corporate form of worship where we corporately sing together and we remind each other of his goodness. Think of songs like, How Great Is Our God and Amazing Grace. They unify the corporate body. And then you have a spiritual song. And this one's a little bit harder to describe, but the word spiritual song in the Greek has these two meanings, of the spirit, or God breathed. So, you know, the best way I can describe that is in the moment we would call this spontaneous worship, where the Lord puts something on your heart and you sing it out. That's not pre-rehearsed. All three are needed in the corporate setting. 
along with songs that are strictly all about him. So all of them are needed. All of them can be a sweet swelling, swelling, <laughs> sweet smelling aroma to him. Amen. So we've laid this foundation of praise and worship. You might be thinking that's fine, but you're the worship leader. I want you to ask yourself this question. Who am I? Go ahead. You can say it out loud. Who am I? You're a priest. That's like, whoa. You just put a lot of responsibility on me. No, Jesus did. And when you got saved, you didn't know you were a priest. Well, I'm here to remind you right now that you are. So in the Old Testament, in Exodus, God's original intent was that the entire nation of Israel were priests. What were priests doing? They were stewarding the temple of worship. They, they ministered to the Lord and they blessed the people. They took care of the temple. And he actually said, hey, all of Israel, you're supposed to be priests. But it got narrowed down to only one tribe, which is the tribe of Levi. What happened is when, when Moses came down from the mountain, they, were, they had built a, a golden calf. They started worshiping it. He's like, this is not okay. So he, goes, he says this, if anyone is on the Lord's side, come to me. The only people that came was the tribe of Levi. So then they were made the priests. A great thing about salvation is that one of the goals is to get you back to the original intent. The original intent is that everyone is a priest. And we've put all these, these we put these man-made obstacles in the way. It had to be, these were man-made. Had to be from, uh, it had to be a Jewish person. Had to be from the tribe of Levi. Then it actually had to be from a specific house, Aaron's house. And then we had a denomination that said, y'all can't do anything. We're the ones who anoint priests. It's all man-made to separate you from God. You are a priest. First Peter 2.5, you also as living stones are being built up as spiritual houses, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. First Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are a royal priesthood. Look at yourself, look at your neighbor, say, I'm a priest. And it's not sacrilegious to say that. Glory to God. This is your identity. So it's so important to understand our, our identity because everything we do, every decision we make is tied to who we think we are. And religion says this, that function determines identity. I do, therefore I am. That's religion. That's the world. Worship teaches that I am, therefore I do. Our identity determines our worth and our function. Glory to God. The religious heart says, I must do my duty in order to be of value of God. The heart of worship says, Jesus proved I am of value to God. And I serve him because he, also, he is also of value to me. Whew. Come on. Identity determines function. You are a priest, which means now, because you know your identity, you have a function and a role and a part to play. Real quick, and then I'll let you go home. I've got the functions of a priest. This is so important for you. This is the basic definition of a priest, is those who worship God and help other people worship God. Let's break it down just a little bit more, okay? Number one, your job as a priest. Priests steward meeting places. So the job of the Levites was to steward and take care of the tabernacle. Tabernacle is a fancy word that just means tent or tent of meeting or the meeting tent. This is where God met the people. It was where the presence of God was. They carried the presence of God. 
Uh, that was the Ark of the Covenant. So, and this was a moving tent, which meant the Levites had to set it up, tear it down, transport it, guard it, tend to it. So, in layman's terms, a priest's job was to set up a place where God and man could meet together. And we know now that as New Testament priests that we carry a meeting place with us. That's what Peter refers to as spiritual houses. We are now the temple of the Holy Spirit, which means everywhere we go, we have an opportunity to set up a meeting place between God and man. That's your job as a priest. Amen? When you're a priest, every place you go becomes a spot where people have an opportunity to meet with God. It's so, so important to know your identity because only priests can steward tabernacles, not guitarists, not mechanics, not builders, not public speakers, right? If a guitarist identifies solely as just a guitarist, if I take away his guitar, what good is he? That was his identity. Function determining identity doesn't work that way. Number two, they carry the presence. You can find this in Deuteronomy 10. Uh, but the only Levitical, only Levitical priests were permitted to carry the Ark of the Covenant. That's what housed the, the literal presence of God. It represents his presence on the earth, his throne and his glory. And we see that wherever the Ark went, there was life, there was mercy, there was authority, there was power. So where the Ark goes, blessing goes, authority goes, power goes. And guess what? You carry it. You're a New Testament Ark. And think about 2 Corinthians 5.20, which says we are ambassadors of Christ. Ambassadors represent the authority, all of the authority, of the place and the person who sent them. And when an ambassador steps foot in a foreign nation, that spot is now the nation they represent. Everywhere you go, you represent the kingdom. You step into a dark situation, that now becomes the kingdom. Glory to God. Number three, they minister to God. So the second most uh, used word for worship in the Bible is the word latruya. It just means to minister to God. And we see this function lined out in Deuteronomy 10, 8 as well. And let me reiterate, again, worship is for God, not for man. It's for his pleasure, his heart, his opinions, his tastes, and his desires. And when we make it about us, we're communicating to him that it is for us. And we become idolaters. So in everything we do, not just singing but our day-to-day, -day, our each encounter, each conversation should have the motive of glorifying and ministering to him. It's your job as a priest. And guess what? One of the main differences between David and Saul is David lived to please the heart of God. All right? He ministered to the Lord while Saul disobeyed God to meet the needs and the preferences of the people. Here's an important distinction you need to make. Priests court the heart of God. Politicians court the heart of man. Which one are you? Come on. Number four, they bless the people. So in modern day terms, and I'll be done in just a few minutes, I promise. You guys get, get, get to go to lunch. Um, modern day blessing, it's like, man, that really blessed me today. I hope what I said blessed you. It's good. The sentiment is fine. And it may, what we're trying to say is like, hey, I hope what I said encouraged you in some way and made you feel good. Biblical blessing was completely different. You look at the Old Testament patriarchs and how they blessed their sons. They imparted and spoke destiny over them. You even see how uh, Isaac blessed Jacob. It was like an accidental blessing because he thought it was Esau, but it still worked. And it was imparting destiny. So a biblical blessing is going to catalyze destiny in someone's life. 
And the word catalyst just means an ingredient that's going to cause a chemical reaction. It's the ingredient that's needed for change. You might not know this, but there's a word that you have for somebody that might catalyze. It's the substance needed for change to take place. And you as a priest have that job to bless the people, to speak a word of blessing. Amen? An authentic word of blessing never leaves someone where it finds them. And the last one, they help others worship. And they teach. Uh, listen, as a worshiper, as a priest, like this is, this is our job. It's not we do our thing up here and you do your thing down there. No, we are all priests. We are all worshipers. And it's our job to teach and, 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 and equip others on how to worship. And there's a beautiful story about this in 2 Kings where Israel is defeated yet again by the Assyrians. The Assyrians, they come in and they start making their home in Israel, in the Holy Land. And what happens is God is not okay with this. He's like, uh, yo, this is, this is my spot. And so what they're doing is they're worshiping false gods. They're doing things the Assyrian way. And God allows these lions to come in and starts eating everyone. And the Assyrian king is like, listen, this is not a good thing. So this is what we need to do. Can you bring back like one of your priests? And this is what I need him to do. I need him to teach us how to worship the Lord, how to fear the Lord. So they bring back a priest. And that priest teaches the Assyrians what true worship is. And they begin to follow after those patterns. And guess what? The lions went away. Amazing. A priest... As a priest, one of the ways that you bless people is by equipping them and teaching them. We are chosen to show others the rituals of the kingdom and how to worship and fear the Lord. And when that happens, that's when healing takes place in our land. We pray for that revival, revival, healing. Come on, come on, come on. But we don't even understand what worship is. We think that it's just the 30 minutes of, of music before, before Pastor Mark teaches. It's, that's part of it. But your life is worship, and you're a priest. Amen? Why don't you stand on your feet? I hope I've encouraged you a little bit today to understand your function and role as a priest. Amen? This is your part to play. You know how to worship. Now it's time to go and be a light for those who are around you. Father God, we thank you for your word. I thank you that you have made us priests. And we have a function. I thank you that we know our identity. It's found in you. And now that we know our identity, we can function properly. So I thank you that you have equipped us. You're empowering us by the spirit of grace to go out and minister and bring a light and bring the presence of God to those who are around us, Father God. May everything we do be an act of worship, not just something we dedicate a few minutes of our time on a Sunday, but everything we do, motivated by love, becomes an act of worship. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all, thank you so much. If you need prayer for anything, there'll be altar care workers up here to pray for you. Hey, and come back tonight. It's Pastor Sean, that's my mom, is going to preach tonight. It's going to be great. Um, say this as we go. What God did in Christ Jesus far exceeds any damage done to me by Adam's fall. You can be dismissed.